All right, take out your Bibles and let's travel to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, and I am so glad to be here, and I'm glad that you're here on this first Sunday of June. Our focus this month of June is on the Word of God, and we're praying that we will just not shake hands with the truth of the Word, but we want to embrace the truth of the Word of God. It's one thing to, I believe, to say you believe in the Word of God, but it's another thing for God's Word to live in you and to live through you. So I encourage you this month, when you come to church, bring a Bible with you electronically or your hard copy. Each week, bring something to write on. Several of you have already got a journal. I encourage you, get you a journal and get you a pen every Sunday morning. Jot some notes down. Because how many of you have ever been guilty of forgetting a message that the pastor preached? How many of y'all have ever forgot something that the pastor preached? How many of you have been sitting at lunch after church and you've already forgotten what the pastor has preached about? So what I have learned, it's a whole lot better to take some notes and write those thoughts down because we're really traveling through, I believe, as a church family, what I really consider the big five things that we've got to be about a church. The first thing we're about is the first and the greatest commandment is to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Strength. The second great commandment is equal to the first, and that is to love our neighbors as ourselves. So I'm challenging you each week to go and love your neighbor, be praying for your neighbor. Pray that your neighbor is going to share with you one of their deepest issues of their life so you can be praying for them and encouraging that neighbor. And we said we love God, we love our neighbor, but how are we going to do that? We do that through prayer, we do that through the Word of God, and we do it through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of us. So May, we focused in on prayer. June, we're going to focus in on the Word. Then July, we're going to focus in on the Holy Spirit. A lot of times, people, uh, especially in the Baptist world, we kind of veer away. We get scared to talk about the Spirit of God. We can't. We've got to talk about that we are sealed. Praise God. Aren't you grateful we're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise? Aren't you grateful that you have the Holy Spirit of God that is empowering us, that God, through His Spirit, is living inside of you? So we'll spend the month of July talking about that. All right, I've got a question. How many of you in this room watch the History Channel? Anybody watch the History Channel? Man, several of you do. All right, how many of you, anybody watch the Discovery Channel? Y'all watch the Discovery Channel? Several of you do. Anybody watch the Military Channel? The Military Channel? Couple of you do. You know what? When you watch the History Channel or the Discovery Channel or the Military uh, Channel, a lot of times they will go back in history and they will take you to the battlefield and they will show you how the battle took place and how they organized it all and how it was fought and what took place. And they'll kind of map you through on the History Channel, the Military Channel. They'll show you some of the great battles of the world. As a matter of fact, I've got some great respect for some men and ladies in this room 
y'all fault for us in some of those great battles. We're blessed at First Baptist. We still have several that fall in World War II for us. We have some men and within our church that fought some of the most fierce battles this world has ever seen. And some of those men, they were 18, 19, and 20 years of age that fought in those battles. And all of you men and ladies that fought those battles for us, I want to say thank you. Thank you. Thank you for fighting in some of the most intense battlefields that this world had ever experienced. But there is a battle, one of the greatest battles ever fought. You're not going to see it on the History Channel. You're probably not going to turn on the military channel and see one of the greatest battles that was ever fought. You're not going to go on the History Channel, and the History Channel is going to tell you about this great battle. There was an incredible battle that took place in Matthew chapter 4. It was a battle between the devil and Jesus. It was a very intense battle. As a matter of fact, in this battle, the devil tempted Jesus. The devil placed several traps for Jesus in this battle. But I want you to know, Jesus in this battle responded the same way every time to the trap that the devil put before him. Every time in this battle, the devil tempted Jesus and set a trap, Jesus always came back and said, it is written. Hey, Jesus, if you really are the Son of God, why don't you do this? Hey, devil, it is written. Hey, Jesus, why don't you come and do this? Hey, devil, it is written. I want you to know God wrote one book. God wrote one book, and it's the Bible. The Bible has been attacked by every angle. The Bible has been attacked by governments. But First Baptist in Volusia County, let me tell you, the Bible will always stand. There is one book that God wrote, and that book, the Bible, 
will never wither. It will never fade away. That one book will last forever. It is written. Turn with me, Matthew chapter 4, let's begin in verse number 1. But in order to understand Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, you've got to understand what just took place. Right before Matthew chapter 4, where the devil, and I want you to know, the devil is real. There is a devil and he is not your friend, he is your enemy, and the devil is seeking to devour you and to destroy you. The devil might offer you something that looks good on the outside, but on the inside core, it is rotten, and it is for your destruction. There's one thing, the devil wants to steal you, kill you, and destroy you. The devil is not your friend. He is our enemy. But I want you to know, the devil is for real. The devil is not some made-up character with a little pitchfork and a little red suit. The devil's coming to you. The enemy is coming after us. What do we do? It is written. You've got to understand in Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, what just happened was in the previous chapter, Jesus Christ was just baptized. And please understand this. Many times after our greatest days will be the greatest battles. Many days after the greatest days, many times after the greatest victories, you better be ready. How do we know that? We can look through that throughout History, we see that with Jonah. Remember Jonah, he's in Nineveh and he preaches. And after he just preached and the city got right, what did Jonah do? Jonah sat underneath the tree and said, hey, God, why don't you just what? Kill me. I love the statement that Vance Havner put. The next day, after a great day, is dangerous. You might want to jot that down. I think it's a good statement. The next day, after a great day, can be dangerous. So we move from Jesus' baptism and look Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Let's begin and let's process this through. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert. Jesus was led to a place that's about uh, 55, I mean 15 miles wide by 35 miles long. 
I mean, this place that Jesus was led in the wilderness really means to be quarantined. So here is Jesus Christ. He's in this area by 15, by 30-something miles. I mean, he is out in the wilderness. Well, what's taking place? Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Verse 2. And when he had fasted 40 days, I want you to mark that word 40 days. How many times throughout Scripture do we see 40? Do we see 40 through all out of Scripture? We see 40 over and over again, whether it's 40 years that they wandered around in the wilderness. When you come to that word 40, I want you to write next to that word 40, tested. When you study throughout the Bible, when you see the number 40, 40 meant that they were going through a testing. There was some situation that they were walking through. In verse 2, it says, And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, I th- aren't you grateful with just the transparency of God's Word? It says, Jesus has been in this wilderness, this desert, 40 days and 40 nights, fasting, not eating at all. And what does it, how does verse number 2 says, and afterwards he was what? Hungry. I don't know about you, but if you've just fasted 40 days and 40 nights, do you think you'd be hungry? I want you to get this. Look at me. Physically, Jesus was hungry. Physically, his body might have been a little weak. But in his hunger, he was always stronger than the devil. In his hunger, and in this situation, the devil's going to set a trap for him, but the devil's going to realize quickly, even in the hunger of Jesus, that Jesus is still greater. Verse number 3. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Jesus, if you're the Son of God, he said, I am going to tempt you with a fleshly appetite. You're hungry, but if you're the Son of God, why don't you turn those stones into bread? He's fleshly tempting him. But not only is he fleshly tempting him, when you think about it, he said, you know, I I believe he said, if you really are the Son of God, if God really loves you, if God really going to take care of you, you can do this because you have a need. He said, hey, Jesus, I'm tempting you to be self-centered. I'm tempting you to be about you. Aren't you grateful the Scripture in Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ was tempted at all points that we're going to be tempted with, but without sin? Remember, is it a sin to be tempted, yes or no? No, it's not a sin to be tempted. So here is Jesus, his fleshly appetites being tempted. I mean, his love for God is being tempted. His self-centeredness is being te- tempted. Everything, all of this is being wrapped up in being tempted. 
How does Jesus respond? Verse 4, I want you to see this. Why is the word so important? But he answered and said, It is written. Right next to that, I want you to write down Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. Why are you going to write down Deuteronomy 8, verse 6? He says, it is written, and you know what Jesus is going to do? Jesus is going to go all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6, and Jesus is about to quote Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6. So everybody tell me, First Baptist, when Satan tempted Jesus to set a trap for Jesus to get him to fall, how did Jesus respond? What did he use? The Word of God. It is written. Notice what Jesus says. It's incredible. It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. I I brought some bread up here. Anybody y'all like me? Do any of y'all like bread? Oh, you know what? I almost want to pick a restaurant by the bread that they serve. You know, I'm telling you, that's one of the most tempting things, you know, when they bring that basket out of bread, and especially when they got it all covered up, and you open it up, and you see a little bit of steam coming from that basket. And then they have in it, Don't you love when they have some really good honey butter with it? And and you cut that slice of bread off. You take some of that honey butter and you put it on there and you put some more on there and you put some more on there and you just watch as that honey butter just disappears and melts into that bread and it soaks in. Well, that's good, isn't it? And you you take that, and I mean, you put it in your mouth, and your mouth just has, I mean, a party. I mean, your taste buds have a taste bud party as you're eating that. You're tasting that bread. You're tasting the honey butter as it's in your mouth. Let's go back to the Scripture. It is written that man does not live by what? Hmm. Why can we not live by bread alone? Look look at this slide. Why is it that we can't live by bread alone? Because we are more than one dimension. If we could live by just bread alone, we would just be a dimension. We would be like an animal. As a matter of fact, as I look throughout our community, and there, there are some people that are physically hungry in our community. And praise God for Wednesdays and God's table and all the people that we feed every single Wednesday and all the people that we clothe all the time as a church family. 
But can I tell you something? We don't live by bread alone. Because that just feeds our physical bodies. As a matter of fact, in the United States of America, we are so blessed. I couldn't imagine how much food across our nation we waste a day. I'll never forget we were doing a mission trip with the, uh, in Texas, and we went to a Texas Rangers game. And when the Texas Rangers game is done, that they're so gracious when the Texas Rangers games are done... With all the leftover food, they do not throw it away. They take all the leftover food from their home games and they go deliver it to several homeless shelters and they go feed all the homeless people of the community with all the leftover food of that ball game. I said, man, way to go. How do I know it? Because we watch as we serve that food that came from that ball stadium. But here's what I know. In America, for the most part, we don't have a famine of bread physically. But we have a great famine, and it's probably the greatest famine our nation has ever seen with the Word of God. We live in the greatest famine probably in the history of the United States when it comes to the Word of God. How many of you, I want to raise your hand, how many of you took Bible in public school? How many of y'all went to, where, how many of y'all had Bible in your public school? Raise your hand. I did. I did when I was at Harrison Elementary School. Every week I went to Bible class in my elementary school. But what do we have across America? For the most part, we don't have a famine of physical bread. But I can tell you, our nation has a great famine of God's Word. As a matter of fact, in the United States of America, we are probably the most illiterate about the Bible today as we've ever been before. So I ask you a question. Why do people hate the Bible? Why, why do people hate the Bible? Have you ever been watching a news interview and you just see them attack the Bible? Why is it? Why is it the Bible the most attacked book in the entire world? Why is it that communist governments, they won't allow us legally to bring Bibles into their country? Why is it? That so many in our country, why is it, why do they hate the Bible? Here's what I put now. People hate the Bible because the Bible is a discerner of their thoughts. 
People hate the Bible and the Word of God because the Bible's a discerner of thought. People hate the Word of God because they don't like the truth of what it's saying. They don't like the truth of what it's saying. And Priscilla and I were talking about it, and I'm going to preach on it sometime, just about the great white throne judgment. They don't like to read about that one day everybody's name that is not in the book of life it will stand before God. And when there's not names not there in the book of life, then the books will be open. And when the books will be open, they will help be held responsible for what they did. And then they'll receive their eternal judgment in hell forever. They don't like that, do they? Why do people hate the Bible? Because it's so convicting. But the Bible for us, it's just not convicting. It's, it brings great comfort to us. The Bible for us, it is our answers to Spiritual life. Some of us say, well, the Bible answers all questions. I would say, the Bible answers all questions that pertain to spiritual life. Man shall not live by bread alone. Look back at verse 4, and this is important. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every what? Word. I, I put down a couple of scriptures. I put down Psalms 11, verse 3. If the foundations are destroyed, what will the righteous do? You know what the devil has tried to do? The devil has tried to attack the Bible more and more and more. As a matter of fact, the greatest attacks on the Bible has probably been the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Why is the first 11 chapters of Genesis probably the most attacked scriptures in the Bible? If the first 11 chapters crumbles, what happens to the rest? Because when you study the first 11 chapters of Genesis, most of our major doctrine and theology is built off the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And the devil knows if he can have crumble the first 11 chapters of Genesis and it all crumbles. Because you will see from the, part, from the first part of Genesis all the way through, what is the devil trying to do? The devil is always trying to mess up God's plan. I mean, you see it all throughout Scripture every time. That's what happens in Matthew chapter 4. The devil is again trying to mess up God's plan. But can I tell you, the devil cannot mess up God's plan. So I started thinking, what excuses for, do people give for not believing the Bible? If we're not to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, why is it some people don't believe the Bible? There's a book out called Already Gone. And the book out called Already Gone talks about why are we losing that generation, the 20 and the 30, within our churches? 
If we went across America today and had everybody from the age of 20 to 30 to stand up in our churches in America, we will see for the most part there is a big gap. And it says the reason why they're gone from our churches because they doubt God's Word. But can I tell you, As you're reading this out of Matthew chapter 4, did you know there are 24,000 manuscripts of the New Testament? Can I tell you, there is not an easier book in the world to defend than God's Word. God's Word is rock solid. But what excuses people give? I want you to write down these five excuses I, I think people give all the time. People give the excuse, well, it's just a bunch of stories. The Bible is just a bunch of stories. It's not truth. It's just some stories that you can read. How many of y'all have ever heard somebody say, it's just a bunch of stories? They're not truth. To it. The second one I'm putting out, well, it was just written by man. It's not supernatural. I want you to know, God wrote one book, and it's the Bible, and it's supernatural. Because you know what the Bible says? God breathed. Excuse number three that people give all the time. You know, and I have my own source of truth, my own self-revelation. I'm finding my own truth. I'm finding that whatever that truth is for me is what I'm doing. Number four, have you ever heard, well, it's just too old to be relevant. It's not very scientific. It's not very relevant. Reading the Bible is like trying to pick up a a manual from a 1920 Ford T model and trying to repair your Ford today with it. It's not relevant, they say. The fifth thing that they say, well, it's just filled with all kinds of contradictions. Y'all ever heard, well, the Bible is just full of all kinds of contradictions, so I can't believe it. Can I tell you one of the greatest contradictions that's not a contradiction that they try to use? Write these references down. Write down Matthew chapter 27 and Acts chapter 118. Matthew chapter 27 and Acts 118. They use how Judas hung himself as one of the greatest contradictions in the Scripture. Matthew chapter 27 says how Judas is here. He hung himself. Then Acts chapter 1 verse 18 is really giving you the results of what happens. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's gruesome. And they say, well, those issues, they just contradict. No, they don't. He's telling them how he did it here. And Acts chapter 1 verse 18 tells, this is what it looked like at the end. You know another contradiction they use? 
They contradict. They say there's a contradiction between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. They say in Genesis chapter 1, it tells how man and lady was, woman was created here. But in Genesis chapter 2, it tells you how Adam was put in a deep sleep and they took a rib out of him and Eve was made. But they don't understand. Genesis chapter 1 is just showing you the 36,000 view of it. Then Genesis chapter 2 is just putting the details on what happens in Genesis chapter 1. Can I tell you, I just gave you about the two of the greatest contradictions that people use why they cannot believe the Bible. You know what we're living in? We're living in the days of Amos chapter 8. In Amos chapter 8, they had the physical things, but they said, you will have a famine and it's a famine of the word. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus said, It's written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What is that telling us? It tells us several things. Write these down, things down. Number one, Jesus knew the Bible. It's telling us, as Jesus is quoting, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, Jesus knew the Bible. Not only did Jesus know the Bible, Jesus believed the Bible. Jesus knew the Bible, and Jesus believed the Bible. Number three, Jesus believed that the Bible was in Aaron. John chapter 17, verse 17. Let me tell you, this is truth. And even Jesus believed that it was in error, and it was true. Number four, Jesus believed that the Bible was infallible. Look at Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Number five, Jesus believed that the Bible was the highest authority. It is written. Jesus firmly believed that the Word of God is the highest authority. You know why I really think people don't like the Bible while they hate it? Because they don't want the Bible to be the highest authority of truth and what is right. This is the highest authority. When it comes to God's Word, we bring our life issues into God's Word. We don't change the Bible to fit us. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God will empower us to change us to fit it. I mean, that's why we're spending the month of June about the Word of God. The Word of God, it is living. It is active. It will transform your life. So I'm going to ask you a question. Did you eat 
a lot of physical things this week. Did you eat the Word of God? Pastor Eric, you just don't know how busy I am. You just don't know my schedule. Well, did you take time to physically eat? We got to take time. Eat of this book. Because it's the highest authority. Let me give you a sixth statement, real quick. Jesus even believed in the historical accuracy of the Bible. I mean, let me give you a couple examples. Jesus believed in the account of creation. You can read it in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. You can believe that Jesus even believed in the global flood of Noah, Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 through 39. Jesus even believed that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish, Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 through 40. Jesus has been tempted, and as he is in the battle against Satan, he said, it is It is written. Man shall not live by what? But by every word. So here's the challenge for the month of June. I want you to see this. The month of June, I just don't want you to shake hands with this truth. I want you to embrace it. I think there's a big difference in saying, I'm going to just shake hands with the truth. I just don't want you to shake hands with it. I don't want you just to shake hands with it for your three-minute Scripture reading in the morning so you just don't feel guilty that you didn't read Scripture that day. I just don't want you to shake hands with it. I want you to embrace it. I want you to eat it. I want you to meditate on it. I want it to change your thinking. I want it to change everything about you because this is our food. Don't just live on physical bread. Come dive in God's word with us in the month of June. So here's the invitation. The invitation that you're going to make a commitment for the month of June. You're just not going to come shake hands with this truth for the month of June. But you're going to come And you're going to embrace it. And every time you sit down and and eat a meal. And every time that bread is sitting on that table. I want you to remember. Man does not live by bread alone. But we live by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God.
First Baptist family. I believe our nation is in a great famine. And we're in a famine from God's word. But for us, let's embrace it. Because in here, this will comfort your soul. This will change your thinking. This will give you purpose. This will show you how your joy may be full. This will show you how you're more than conqueror that is in Christ Jesus. Come. Don't shake hands with it. But embrace it. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you, Lord. That, Lord, that it's true, that it's right, that it's set apart. Lord, we know you use 40 different authors over 1,500 years. God, it all perfectly fits together. Because it's God-breathed. It's God-given. Thank you, Lord, that the grass is going to wither, the flowers are going to fade. But thank you, Lord, that this word will stand forever. God, I pray for us as a church family that we just won't come and shake hands with the truth. God, I pray that we just won't come to your word with a casual spirit. But God, we come that we will embrace this word, that we'll meditate on it. God, let this word go deep into our soul. God, I pray that we will not push it away. But God, may we embrace the comfort that you are the Father of all comfort. God, may we embrace whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God, may we embrace in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God, may we embrace for God so loved the world that he gave. God, I pray that we will embrace. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, also believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If we're not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you. God, I pray that we will embrace. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. For they shall be filled. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be comforted. God, I pray that we will embrace 
that Jesus, that you are the word. God, forgive us for allowing our Bibles to collect dust when it needs to be transforming us. God, forgive us for keeping our Bibles closed when we need to be having an open heart to the truth of your word. God, I pray that we just won't shake hands with the truth, but we'll embrace the truth. Right now, as no one's moving around this room, your eyes are closed, your heads are bowed, I'm going to give you a moment to meditate on that. Have you been just shaking hands with the truth? Or are you saying, Lord, I'm going to embrace the truth. I think a lot of us in this room, you've been shaking hands with the truth a long time. Now it's time to say, God, I pour my soul and my life in knowing your word. Some of you need to make that commitment. Lord God, I'm going to meditate on it day and night. As no one's looking around in this room, I'm going to get really up close and personal with you. We're going to get real personal. Why am I going to get personal? Because Jesus is a personal God. How many of you say with all honesty, Pastor Eric, I really need to embrace the Word. I've been shaking hands with it a long time. And Pastor Eric... I need to embrace it. As no one's looking around, if you say, Pastor Eric, I I really need to embrace the Word. I'm not in it that much. It collects more dust. It's more closed than it is ever open. And when I do open it, it's just a quick glance so I can go. No one looking. But if you say, Pastor Eric, here's the commitment I'm making on this Sunday, June the 3rd. God, I want to embrace your word. As no one's looking, if that's your commitment, God, I'm going to embrace the word during the month of June. Just look at me. Just make eye contact with me. So the month of June, I'm going to embrace the word this month. Many of you. I'll get to your section one by one. I just don't want to shake hands with it anymore. I want to embrace it. I look at you and look back down. Many of you looking at me. God, thank you literally for the hundreds of people are saying, Lord, I just don't want to shake hands with the word, but I want to embrace it. I want to embrace the peace that comes in it. 
I want to embrace the comfort. I want to embrace, embrace the conviction. I want to embrace the hope that is found in it. Lord, thank you that you wrote a book so we might know you. In Christ's name, amen.